Well, great. We are continuing our series this morning entitled Selfless Living in a Selfish World. And our text this morning, you can open up to it, it's Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. So please turn there now and I will wait so we can all set our eyes upon the Word of God this morning. But as you do that, I just want to say I have so benefited from this series. And I've just thoroughly enjoyed it. just want to say thank you, Al. You have led us well. I kind of feel like I've just been there participating, but from the dugout. And I get a chance to come up today and uh, as a sub and come on up here. And my prayer is I wouldn't have thrown any wild pitches, but get that ball across the plate this morning that you would benefit as we continue what God is doing and working in our hearts, prompting us. To be who he's called us to be as his servants. So today's message is called, Speak the Word. Speak the Word from Colossians 3. And we're going to start with verse 12. You there? Verse 12. I'm going to read this context. We're going to go through verse 17. And then we're going to hone in on verse 16. But let's start with verse 12 of Colossians 3. Let us hear the Word of God together. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Now here's our verse for this morning, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, the title of our sermon this morning, and I believe your message to us, speak the word. But I'm also aware, oh Lord, that unless you speak, we have nothing to say. You speak first, then we speak. So we're asking this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Open our ears. And our eyes. And may your word echo in our hearts this morning. May there be reverberations this morning as we dive into your word, as we hear it, and then we go forth and speak it. Oh Lord, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the context of our Serving One Another sermon series theme, we've talked about what love looks like. We've also talked about what love 
smells like the scent of mercy. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about what love sounds like. In particular, what teaching and admonishing one another sounds like. Because it is, after all, a distinct sound. It's a sound that should not and cannot be missed when the people of God gather together. When football fans gather on a Saturday or a Sunday in the autumn, the talk is about football. I include myself there. We may talk about many things, but be assured the conversation will swing back to football in about 3.5 seconds. It goes like this. Hey, bro, how's the family doing? Great. Tick, tick, tick. Dude, did you see that play, that game yesterday? And there we go. There's an internal metronome in our heads as football fans, and we're coming back. And it's the same topics. They really don't change a whole lot. Who's the best team? What's the best conference? That player, that coach, that fantasy football player. It's the internal metronome that guides our conversation on game day, on weekends. Us football fans, we have it. Al, in particular, has the Gator football metronome. You know it's going to come up in a sermon, don't you? And it may even come up in a wedding ceremony as well. (laughs) He's coming back around, baby. Gator football, okay? But you know what? I'm no different. I was actually reading my manuscript this morning and thought, I'm bringing up football. You know what? I'm coming back around to it later in the sermon. I'm doing the same thing. Tick, tick, tick. We're coming back, baby. Come a football fan. I know not all of you, maybe many of you, are not football fans. Maybe you're a young mom. But you know what? When young moms gather, oh, they converse about a variety of topics. But one conversation will be most heard. And that's about their child. Oh, he did this. Or she did that. It will inevitably include the agonies of motherhood. The all-night cry fest. Those gaseous explosions. Or that Walmart episode with your child. But hopefully as well, the glories of motherhood. Oh, that, that first smile. When he or she took the very first step, or their very first words, dad, dad, or mama. You get the picture, whether you're a musician, whatever your affinity is, you will talk about that which concerns you the most. But when Christians gather, football fans, moms, old, young alike, there ought to be one dominant sound, one conversational rhythm. And it's a sweet sound of Christ, the sound of Scripture that sings and rings. But here's the question. Is that really true of us? If Christ is what we share in common as Christians, is Christ and his word central to our conversations? Is it central to our worship? Is his name most commonly on our lips? Is Christ and the word in the tune we sing? Is Christ and his word the tune we sing? When we gather, not just formally right now, but informally as we chat, as we counsel each other. 
My main theme this morning is the title of the message. Speak the word, church. Speak the word to one another. Just what we speak, how we speak it, and why we speak it is the subject for this morning. Let's look back at Colossians 3.16, our main verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. First point, what we speak. What are we to speak? The word of Christ. It's the word of Christ that must dwell richly in our hearts, in our fellowship, in our conversation, in our worship as Christians. But notice this phrase in your text. It says, the word of Christ. I didn't quite expect that. I might expect to hear the word of God, i.e., right, the Bible. Well, I believe the word of God is in view here in a broader sense. I think Paul, the author, the human author, thus God wants to emphasize the very message that's a dwell in us is the message that proclaims Christ, the word of Christ, i.e., the gospel, which is central to God's word. The teaching about Christ. The very teaching that Paul has been talking about in this letter to the Colossians. So I want to just, your Bible's open, turn back two chapters. I want you to hear this word of Christ that is to dwell among us. I want you to hear it from the pages of Scripture, what Paul is referring to. And we're going to start with Colossians 1, verse 15. And I'm going to read through verse 20. That we may hear the word of Christ. That is to dwell among us. Oh, it's, it's a word. It's a powerful word. It's a word that we need to hear again and again. Starting with verse 15 of chapter 1. Speaking of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yeah, that message, that word of Christ, let it dwell among you, that teaching, that truth. Let it dwell among you, plural, all of you, you all, as we meet, as we gather, as we we speak to one another. Let this word dwell in you richly. But this word dwell is coupled with a word richly. And it suggests something here that's, that's permanent, doesn't it? A, a permanent residency. Not a temporary visitation. No, let the, the word of God dwell in you permanently. I like how the New Jerusalem Bible translates this phrase. It says, let the word of Christ Find a home in you. Find a home with you. In addition to our four children, 
we often have a lot of neighborhood kids in our home. We like to joke, my wife and I, that we live in a glass fishbowl. At any given time, we have multiple kids, dogs, and pets peering through our back patio window. And at the same time, oftentimes, we have kids knocking on our garage door. It's not uncommon for us to have sometimes four or five additional children in our house in a given afternoon. That used to bug me, but God is working on me. He's working on me. I'm seeing that this is an opportunity to be light and salt. Yeah, and even to speak. Speak the word to these wonderful neighborhood children. But you know what? Come bedtime, not before, they're gone. They don't sleep with us. These neighborhood children, they don't enter into our intimate family conversation or decision making. They don't usually share in our family worship. Why? Because these children do not live with us. They're guests. They're visitors. They are not residents in our home. They're not family. Church is the word of Christ, is the message of the gospel, a permanent resident in your home, in your family, in your fellowship with one another. Or is the word more like a guest? Is the word of Christ more like a guest to you know, comes into your life on Sundays, occasionally on Wednesdays. Oh, he's far away the rest of the week. Oh, may the word of Christ find a home in us, a personal, permanent dwelling place. You see, these words here, let the word of Christ dwell in you, is an imperative. It is a command. Paul, and that's God, is saying, bring the word home. And when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you or among you, there is a corporate, collective reality to which Paul is, Paul is speaking to. He's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in or among you all as Christians. I hope we're experiencing that today as we gather together. That the word of Christ is dwelling among us and finding a home in you as this word is preached, and as we sung earlier. But I also believe, and this is my burden as well this morning, that there was a valid interpretation and application to this text that could read as following. Let the word of Christ dwell in each of you, personally, as well. Have you ever been around someone who just oozes the gospel the word of Christ and the word of God just, just punctuates their, their conversation. It, it colors their speech. It just informs the way they think. Not in an obnoxious way. It's actually winsome. It just brings life and nourishment to your soul. Do you know such a person? Well, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, knew of one. And he remarked regarding Puritan John Bunyan, who wrote the famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. He said this, speaking of John Bunyan, Why? This man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, and you will find that his blood is Bibline. Translated, it oozes Bible. Quote, the very essence of the Bible flows from him, for his soul is full of the word of God. If you've read Bunyan, you could say it is full of the word of Christ. I want to be like that. 
Prick me. Go ahead, prick me. You know what? And I bleed Bible. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. I believe that's what God wants for each and every one of us. But the question is, how do we get there? How do we get there? We get there in a couple ways. Number one, we get there corporately. That's what we're doing this morning as we gather, as we meet on Sundays to hear the word of God preached. As we gather in small groups, what we call home groups, on Wednesdays, to look at and to apply God's word. As we come to participate in Bible courses, like we had last year, the Bible course on Ephesians called the Grow Course, or the Sunday School course we had this fall called Next Steps. Oh, church, please avail yourself of any opportunity to get the word of Christ in you. And when we offer the next course, oh, I want you to, to pounce on it, to jump in. Oh, get the word in you. But we just don't do it corporately. We do it privately as well, in our personal times, in our devotional times. This is my heart as well, because when we're up here, okay, think about it. In a given year, we as pastors, we probably cover maybe, what, three or four books of the Bible in one year. That's it. Do you know how many books of the Bible there are? Sixty-six books of the Bible. Thirty-nine Old Testament books. Twenty-seven New Testament books that are all the inspired, breathed out Word of God for you. I want you to have that. The full counsel of the Word of God. A 20-minute infusion of God's Word each and every day can get you through the inspired Word of God in totality in one year. And you know what? You do that, you're going to begin to bleed the Bible in the Word of Christ. So where are we all going with this? Where is this leading us? Simply here. If the Word of Christ dwells in us, you know what? It will come out of us. If the Word of Christ is among us, it will be heard by others. If the word is in us, it will be evident in our speech and that which comes out of our mouths in genuine expressions of worship and ministry. How does that work? That leads to our next point, point two. We covered what we speak. Now let's talk about how we speak. Back to verse 16 of chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now catch this. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. By teaching and admonishing. In other words, teaching and admonishing one another will arise from and give evidence of the word of Christ dwelling among us. They go hand in hand. When the word dwells in us, teaching and admonishing will be taking place among us. But what do we mean by te- teaching and admonishing? I don't want to assume that. Well, number one, teaching. It means we will present the truth, the truth of Christ in his word to one another. We'll be faithful to present Christ in the truth of him and his word to one another. This is teaching and admonishing. What's that word admonishing? I believe it means this biblically. We will warn others about the dangers of straying from the truth of straying from the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
See, admonishing connotes or implies bringing the word to bear upon someone who is in danger. Oh, who is in need of change. It may include confrontation and, yes, exhortation that is done in love. We'll talk more about that a little later. You see, teaching and admonishing is the very essence of counseling. In fact, maybe you've heard this before, biblical counseling is sometimes referred to as nuthetic counseling. That word nuthetic comes from the Greek word translated in your text as admonish. That is the heart of counseling one another. It's teaching. It's bringing the word of Christ to bear in their lives. It's teaching. It's admonishing. In that package, it's exhorting. But friends, as we read here in the text, this is not... Just the duty of your pastors. No, it's not. It's the activity, do you see it, of the entire church. It's a command. The participles here, teaching and admonishing, take on the command of that which precedes it. Let the word of Christ dwell among you. Comma, teaching and admonishing. It's a command, and it's for each and every one of us. You know what? Maybe some of you are thinking, the quarry, that's scary. That's scary for me to think of that. I don't want you to hear that. This teaching and admonishing, as you look at it in its context, Colossians 3, it's part of our and your new identity in Christ. It's part of what it means to be a community of believers. That's the context of this passage here. See, it is scary. But you know what? You can do it. I love the words of the Apostle Paul well, he writes elsewhere in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. I want to quote from the NASB version. We read this. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, catch this, and able also to admonish one another. You are able to admonish one another. That doesn't mean getting out your counseling certificate and putting it up on the wall, all right? And opening up shop. Doesn't mean getting out your little counseling couch and starting scheduling appointments for your first clients. That's not what we're talking about. Let me demystify this teaching and admonishing one another for you. You see, we teach and admonish as we come together as a church. It's what we do as the word of Christ dwells in us. When we gather on Sundays, when we gather in small groups, it's what we do when we sing. Yes, when we sing. Look back at verse 16 again, in chapter 3. The word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, how? By teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What does that look like? Next phrase. Singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs. So what does the teaching and admonishing sound like when we gather? Well, first of all, it sounds like singing. Isn't that incredible? See, the construction of this verse here in verse 16 in the original language suggests that the way in which we teach and admonish is through singing. In other words, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs modifies teaching and admonishing. 
See, what I would expect from this verse as I'm reading it is this. Let the word of Christ dwell, right, in you, teaching and admonishing in all wisdom, and singing as if they were separate. We teach, we admonish, and we sing. But there's no conjunction and there. No, I think it's modifying how we teach and admonish. It's how we do it. You see, I think Paul is making a point. I don't know about you, but we can too often miss. I think I can miss it too often. We sing to God, but we also sing for the benefit of one another as well. As we worship corporately, we are teaching and admonishing one another. Whoa! I mean, have you ever thought about that, really? Too often we can just think that, you know, singing is really just a, a warm-up act until, you know, the climatic preaching of the Word. So we can just stroll in casually, can't we? You know, participate in singing if we like the tune, if I know the words. Then the teaching and admonishing really begins when the pastor ascends the steps into the pulpit. Oh, no. The teaching and admonishing of Paul Vista began at 10 a.m. when we began worship and song. Oh, I want you to catch that. That's going to change, I think, how, how you come, even how you view that time. We are teaching and admonishing one another. Oh, it's beautiful. You see, we just don't read our theology. No, we don't. We sing it as well. We sing our theology. In an oral culture like the Colossians, this is how they memorize scripture. They didn't have personal Bibles of their own. They didn't have iPads and iPhones and devices to read their Bible with. They didn't have it. How'd they know the Word of God? How'd they memorize it? They sang psalms. They sang hymns about Christ. They sang spiritual songs. I interpret that as spontaneous songs that arise from the Word of Christ dwelling in you. From the Spirit which works in conjunction with the Word in you. And it comes out in spiritual songs. Ephesians 5.19, which Zeke put on the screen when we were worshiping. Oh, as we sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, hymns, old hymns, and contemporary songs, we are admonishing one another. Just to illustrate, back to football. Metronome, tick, 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 here we go, football, okay? I grew up near Stanford University, and occasionally I would go to football games. I don't know, I guess I would get tickets that were in the alumni section. Because I would go there to these games, and fans would bring picnic baskets. Sit down and eat wine, excuse me, drink wine and eat cheese during every game. But then I had the opportunity to go to a Miami Hurricane football game with my son last year. Let me just say, there were no picnic baskets. <laughs> I didn't see any wine either. There were other libations, but not wine, okay, at this game. Well, it was clear from the minute we arrived, I guess we were among season ticket holders, I mean, that the people in front were not going to sit down. So, we're standing up. Okay, I'll stand up. But like every good play, every first down, they're turning around and high-fiving me and CJ. I'm thinking, I don't know this person. I don't know from Adam. Or to my, I don't know her from Jose, okay? Down here in Miami, I don't know who they were. Men and women, there's about 12 of them. And people from behind me, and they're high-fiving me. You know, I'm feeling... A little stiff here, you know, as I often do here in South Florida, you know. I'm thinking, man, wow, they're really into this, aren't they? But you know what? But the third quarter, 
I'm feeling the love. I'm feeling the love. I'm feeling a little solidarity. CJ and I, man, we're high five. We're turning around too, man. We're high five, and we had like 20 around us high five, and man, I was feeling it. It was like we're together in this. Yeah, you know, what an experience. Well, you know what? When we sing, we're doing a little high fiving ourselves, aren't we? And when we conclude the sermon, we're going to do just that. We're going to sing a song called Before the Throne of God. I'm the preacher this morning, so I chose a song. Zeke obliged me. Why? I want to sing this song. But I want to sing it with you. Because this song for me, you know what it does? Well, it teaches me. It also implicitly warns me as well. And it exhorts me. I need the truth of this song, which is God's word. You know what? I need to sing it with you. I want to feel the solidarity. I want to feel the love. I want to come together as a church and sing it. And I want you to, I want to read the second stanza to you. I want to show you how this may work in one song. Every song is different, but all songs t- teach. Okay? I'm going to read the second stanza, the song before the throne of God. Listen to the first two lines. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. You see how this is framed? This is spiritual warfare. Here's the implicit warning. Satan's there. He's real. And yes, he is tempting me. In other words, it's game time. The next two lines. Upward, I look and see him there. Who's him? Christ, who made an end of all my sin. Here's the word of Christ, okay? I'm fighting back now. The warfare, I'm fighting back with the truth. The word of Christ. But it continues. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. At that point, church, I'm saying, yeah, take that, Satan. You deceiver, you defeated dirty dog. I'm fighting back with truth. That's what we're doing. And then, the last two lines of the stanza. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. There's the high five. I'm saying, yeah, I'm not giving up. You giving up? I'm not giving up. Give me five. We're not giving up. We're in this together. We're fighting with the word of Christ. You see? It's beautiful. We're teaching and admonishing and exhorting one another. Ah, Do you feel it? We're in this together. We are fighting for faith against the enemy of our souls. And we're affirming and we're praising the word and work of Christ. Oh, church. How do we speak the word? We do it by teaching and admonishing every Sunday and Wednesday as we gather, as we sing. You know what? It doesn't stop there. Our teaching and admonishing isn't limited to song or to Sunday morning. The sound of us speaking and singing the word should echo in our hearts through the whole week. As we meet together in small groups or even one-on-one. You see, God in his word commands us, and took us as pastors, to preach the word. Preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2. It's what we're doing right now. It's what we do on Sundays. But he also commands all of us to speak the word. The very word that is preached on Sunday. That it may echo 
in our conversations, no matter whom you're speaking with, throughout the week. We're commanded to preach the word as pastors, but we're all commanded to speak the word to one another. I hope you see that connection. Let me demystify this teaching and admonishing ministry just a little further for you. So under point two, right? How do we do this, right? See, we do it in all wisdom, in all wisdom. We're called to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. I believe this means we do it with tact and with Christ in view. You see, we don't need a, a pulpit. We don't need a stage to teach and admonish one another. What we need is the truth and the wisdom of Christ dwelling among us. So what does that look like on an individual basis? Maybe you say, I, think I, I think I get it, Corey, corporately, when we gather but what does it look like among your friends, family, one-on-one? Well, could I say just first of all, it doesn't look like my honeymoon. As I shared the men in our Man Up course last Wednesday night, let me explain. In all my zeal, I was ready to teach and lead my wife the very first morning of her honeymoon. So I did what any spiritual leader would do. I broke out Psalm 119. The longest chapter in the Bible. And I started to, oh, pontificate glory in the commands and the law of God. For like 30, 40 minutes. It was pretty much a monologue. All right? Let's just say, Sydney was rather quiet at that point. And became increasingly quiet. So I'm thinking, man, she, she doesn't appreciate Appreciate my gift of teaching, apparently. You know, I'm getting like a little offended here, you know. I'm trying to lead her. I really did. I, I love her. I, I, I don't think I'm doing it harshly, but just, I wanted to hear the word. It was just me talking. And you see, it, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. It was a rather awkward first day of our honeymoon. Put it that way. Oh, church. Yes, we, we do want to break out the Bible. We want to read scripture. But here's the point. Let's get Christ into the conversation. See, Psalm 119 is a wonderful text, but we have to do it with tact and the wisdom of Christ, which I obviously lacked in my discernment that first morning. So we want to get Christ into our conversation among one another, but do it with wisdom and do it with tact. Well, how do we do that? Here's a couple suggestions. These are questions that I often ask myself when I'm speaking to someone else. I may ask this question to them. I'm always thinking in my head. But this is what I'm asking. Number one, as I hear their issues, I hear their life, I ask this. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do for them? Not just what would Jesus do, WWJD. No, what did Christ do? Well, as we read in Colossians 1 earlier, verse 16, he created us. He created the heavens and earth. In chapter 2 of Colossians, we read that Christ made us alive with him, forgiving us of all our trespasses, counseling the record of debt that stood against us. That's Colossians 2.14. And next verse, and disarming the rulers and authorities. How helpful is that in a person who was struggling with sin to hear what Christ has done for them. How helpful is that when some person is doubting Christ's power to change them, to 
to bring Christ into the conversation, the ruler and creator of the earth who has redeemed and reconciled you. Disarm the rulers and authorities. Oh, it's a word we need to hear. It's the word of Christ. But I also ask a second question as well. Not just what did Jesus do for them, but what is Jesus doing now for them? For myself as well. I'm talking to myself most of the time. We'll read in Colossians again, verse 17 of chapter 1, that Christ is, remember, holding all things together. We read it in the next verse of chapter 1, that he is the head of the church. How helpful is that? See, whether we acknowledge it or not, Christ is helping you right now. Christ is sustaining you right now. And no matter how bad things seem to be right now, Christ is reigning, he's directing, and he's empowering his church, his people, right now. Oh, that's a word of Christ that I need to hear. Oh, when my heart fails me, when I feel weak, when I feel tempted. Oh, I need the word of Christ. You know what else? Sometimes we also need to admonish one another as well, those who have strayed from the truth. We need to warn them that Christ who is reigning, that Christ who is sustaining, is also returning. And he's returning to judge. That too, we must have at times in our conversation. You see, teaching and admonishing one another is ultimately about getting Christ, the word of Christ, into our conversations. Not a monologue, into our conversations, into our dialogue. Is this happening in your relationships? Is this happening when you gather? Or are we just giving empty platitudes to one another in our trials? We're just spouting off, you know, homespun wisdom. Or maybe we just, you know, I'll do this, just kind of parrot what you've been taught. What I've been taught? Hey, I'll give it to you. Hope it helps. With, with little actual thought to the word of Christ in our speech to one another. An illustration. In all respect to my wonderful parents, I had to laugh. I was recently reading an article debunking some of the traditional wisdom we heard as children growing up. Oh, number one, you shouldn't swim for at least 30 minutes after you eat unless you're going to get cramps. You mean that's, that's not true? That's really true? I'm thinking, how much time did I waste in my childhood sitting there on the pool? I'm looking at my watch. Okay, 29 minutes. One more minute. I can jump on in. Right? Just, it's a traditional wisdom, right? They're also debunking this one. Maybe you've heard this. I heard this a lot growing up as well. If you cross your eyes, they may stick in the cross-eyed position. I, I, I grew up scared. I, I just, you know, I'm going to wake up in the morning cross-eyed. I'm not going to be able to uncross them. I remember that thought growing up as well. How about this one? If you sit too close to the TV, you will ruin your eyes. Heard that one as well a lot. And lastly, speaking of eyes, eating lots of carrots will improve your eyesight. That one was debunked too. I'm sorry. Helps with healthy eyes. Not going to improve your eyesight. Man. It's got me to eat carrots though. You know? Well, we can laugh about some of these, can't we? But we can do this spiritually as well. Even with our spiritual counsel. You know, God helps, God helps them who helps themselves. Know what the Word says. Really? Really? Not 
that's not quite what it says. But we can just parrot things that we've heard, can't we? I was uh, just having a devotional time this morning. Just happened to be in Job 13. And Job is suffering immensely. And if you know the story, he has a bunch of miserable counselors. They're trying to counsel him. I'm just kind of parroting things. Really not doing it with the wisdom or tact. And, and, and Job just replies to his miserable comforter, his, quote, friends. and says, your maxims, your sayings, they're proverbs of ashes. It, what you're telling me, your counsel, it sounds wise, but it has no life. It's ash. Your words are going to burn. They're gone. How often have I given proverbs of ashes rather than the word of Christ? Oh, friends, we can do better than that, can't we? We must. What counsel are we giving our children, our friends, our loved ones, our neighbors? Are we giving them Christ's word or our own? Or just our parents or that of our culture or that even of our sovereign grace culture? The word of Christ is not necessarily the same, always the same. As these other words. They're not. We have the word of Christ. We must know it. We must speak it. We must sing it. And we must share it. And there's the rub, isn't it? I mean, that's where... See, that, that sounds great. But often, you know, I, I can sit up here and stand up here and tell you about teaching and admonishing. But you know what? In practice... It can be pretty difficult, can it? This teaching and admonishing one another. Well, there's a key phrase in our text which summarizes the context of the whole verse. It's this, the very last portion of verse 16. We read, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So how do we speak the word? We do it by teaching and admonishing. We do it by singing. We do it with wisdom, tact, the wisdom of Christ. And D, lastly, we do it with thankfulness unto God. This phrase here could literally be translated with grace in your hearts. Or as the King James Version puts it, you do this with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So often we fail in our counsel to others because of our self-righteousness or impatience. You know what? Our self-righteousness and impatience, it's sniffed out a mile away. Grace reminds us as we come to another person that we are sinners who have been saved by grace and that we're coming to other sinners like ourselves who are in need. We come not better. We come forgiven. And we come thankful. We come ready to extend the same grace that we have received. I think this attitude is captured beautifully in the lead up to our text this morning. I want to give you a quote from Paul Tripp. It says, If Paul, the author, is reminding us in Colossians 3, verses 5-17, through the following, Quote, If you are going to be involved in what God is doing in others, come dressed for the job. 
God changes people not simply because you have spoken the truth to them, but because those words were said with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. When we do this, we become the physical evidence of the truths we present. We are not only incarnating truth, but Christ himself. What clothes we wear to ministry matters. Are you dressing in the clothes, the garments of Christ, the garments of love? Church, how many times have I brought admonishment in my stinky, grimy grave clothes, sinning right and left as I correct or admonish another? You know, God's saying in this passage for us, church, what do you mean? He's saying, Corey, get your Bible, go home, and get to rest. Put on the clean, fresh clothes that belong to my son Christ and now belong to you. Put them on. Put them on. Put on meekness. Put on forgiveness. Put on kindness. Put on patience, which are yours in Christ Jesus. You know what? Now go back to that person. It may be repenting to that person first and confessing, but go back. Oh, but go back, dress properly. Dress for the job that I have given you. And while you're at it, don't forget to put on your belt as well. The belt of love. We read in chapter 3, verse 16. Actually, it's 15, right? No, 14, excuse me. And above all these, put on love, which binds, say belts, everything together in perfect harmony. If we're not teaching, if we're not admonishing in love, there will be no harmony No matter how articulate, no matter how correct the truth may be that you are bringing. But if we do dress for the job, if we close ourselves to the clothes of Christ and of love, if we come aware of God's grace and we come to bring the word to serve our brother and sister, a relationship may be reconciled and a life may be changed. That's why we do it. Number three, we talked about What we do, what we bring, the word of Christ, how we do it. Now, thirdly, and lastly, why we do it, why we speak. What's our hope as we fulfill God's command to speak the word, to teach and admonish one another? I want want to travel back two chapters in the book of Colossians, back to chapter 1. Please do that with me. I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul pertaining to his own personal ministry, his own ambition, his own desires. I want you to hear it from him. Colossians 1, verse 28. We read this. Him, that's Christ, we proclaim. Warning, same word there, had before, admonishing. Everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone Mature in Christ. For this I toil, I love this phrase, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. Do those words sound familiar? They they ought to. It's what we're commanded to do in Colossians 3. Same words. Teaching and warning. Teaching and admonishing. 
in all wisdom. That was Paul's very life, toil, and ambition. But what we're also given here in this chapter 1 is the reason why we read that we may present everyone mature. You can translate that word perfect in Christ. That we may present everyone mature or perfect in Christ. See, see, Paul knew that perfection will only be attained when Christ returns, right? When believers are fully transformed. But his desire is that we would grow up. I want you to grow up. I want to see you mature. I want to see you change for the glory of God. How? By speaking the word to one another. See, Paul knew that he couldn't be the lone voice here. He couldn't reach everyone. No, that's why we have Colossians 3.16. Sanctification, change, maturation is a community project by God's design. Church, do you believe that lasting growth and change cannot and will not take place apart from the word of Christ? If you do, you will not withhold the word from one another. You know what else? You won't reject the word of Christ from others as well, no matter how imperfectly that word is brought. None of us like uncomfortable moments, which we sometimes find ourselves in when we teach and admonish. To quote Paul Tripp again, the truth is that we fail to confront, that is, we fail to teach and admonish, not because we love others too much, but because we love ourselves too much. We're just not willing to go into the fray, are we? Oh, it could be messy. I mean, I do it just right. I don't know the word of Christ perfectly, and I tried it before, and it didn't work too well. That may be true. But if we love the person, and we're doing it in love, and if we're clothing ourselves with the garments of Christ in love, we can go with his word. Because I love you, brother, and I love you, sister, and I know I'm not doing this perfectly, but I just want you to hear God's word, what he says, what he's done, and what he's doing, and leave the results to God. And yes, you might blow it. We may have to come back and confess. But we're doing it out of love. And I'm not going to sit back and say, I'm not doing it. I can't do it right. I'm not going to do it. Take my ball, my Bible, going home. That's not an option. Not in, not in the community of Christ. Not in the church. We together must understand this is a command, church. It is an imperative. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. If we love, we will speak. If we love, we will sing. If we love, we will serve. We'll serve in speech as well as in deed. Love has a sound. It's Colossians 3.16. Let's sing now. Worship team, you can come back up here. The band up. I need you to do that quietly as we prepare to do what we have been speaking about this morning. Church, let us do what we've been preaching. Right now, as we quiet ourselves, we are teaching and admonishing one another. We're bringing the word home. That it may echo now in our hearts, in our conversation, throughout the week. So with that in mind, we're going to sing...
before the throne of God. And let us sing, and let us sing together, shall we? Let us stand.